1: Welcome back to your tech report. We are back on your tech report. Thank you guys so much for being uh, here with us. Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. I am Marcus Lallow in uh, Montreal, or we'll say Montréal, because our next guest has a little bit of a French connection. Little tease. Little Um, tease here, yeah. Exciting week of the year. Normally, Mitchell, because you're in Los Angeles, you would have been downtown the entire week at E3. But unfortunately, things were a little bit different again this year.
2: Exactly. And you know, I've always felt very fortunate uh, that I've been attending E3 since the beginning in Los Angeles. I believe it it was in Atlanta at some point. I mean, it moved its way to Los Angeles. I was there from the very beginning. And if you've never been to E3 in person, I've had friends at Microsoft. I was lucky enough to be there for prep day for a lot of the days during setup. And uh, and as our next guest will attest to, there's so much prep work. I wish the average video game fan or business person could see what goes into the preparation for E3. It would, as beautiful as it looks when it's set up, the, the effort that goes into, it's a Herculean task. So <laughs> I'm very curious, Mark, how that Herculean task translates virtually because there's still a ton of work, a ton of preparation, a ton of organization that goes into creating E3. So I can't wait to hear how this year was very different.
1: Well, on with us right now is Stan Pierre-Louis, or Stan Pierre-Louis, the president (laughs) and CEO of ESA, which is the Entertainment Software Association. Welcome to E3 Week. How are you feeling after this long week, even though I know you were there physically in California, but how does it feel? Does it feel a little bit different having done this virtually?
0: It really is. I was excited to have an E3 this year, and thank you for highlighting E3 because it's such an important week for our industry not being able to have it last year um was really a sad occasion but so much of last year um, was so different and the the beauty was that games provided people with a way to connect some solace away from the isolation and being able to bring e3 back um and showcase what's great in games products and services for fans was terrific you talked about the work that goes into it oh yeah um you know, I had to do uh, some satellite media tours in prior years, and uh, in order to hit the East Coast time, I had to get there at I don't know three in the morning uh, <laughs> Pacific time in order to start you know prepping and you know hair and makeup. Though I don't have hair, if you could see me.
2: Hey, I'm right with you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> more room for uh, makeup. And,
0: yeah, and while you're there, you actually see the the, the kind of uh, the, the forklifts and the things that are moving. uh uh, these items around in order to create these beautiful extravagant booths to showcase these works and so there is a tremendous amount of planning that has to go on for a physical show that's different than a digital show yeah um and i think that was one of the key differences is we had to make a decision several months back about whether we would have a physical component or not because you have to plan on moving people and things into place into a center for a finite amount of time and not knowing where we were in covid at the time there was no vaccine developed and certainly nothing approved international travel wasn't occurring domestic travel was really at a standstill so we had to make a difficult but the right decision uh to have a digital show and we were so glad that it turned out as well as it did
1: it's so natural, I guess, to have a digital show in a medium like this because, you know, it is digital. And you talk about the the extravagance of E3. I mean, you really have to be there at least once to really experience and understand it. I mean, people have seen photos. They've seen time lapses of, of these giant stages being built. But, you know, as an audio-video geek, like watching this stuff come together is an absolute it's an absolute joy. Um, how, how was that conversion? How was, Did you find it hard to get buy-in from all the people that normally come to E3 and people that you know showcase their products and their games at E3, did you find it hard to get buy-in from them to go digital, or was it just a natural transition this year?
0: Well, we were gratified that over 40 companies decided to participate in our uh, digital E3. You know, Part of what makes a physical show exciting, particularly E3, is the excitement of the crowd, of the energy of the people who are there, people who come are real game fans, And there's nothing more that companies want and desire than to be able to connect with those fans and to get feedback on what they're producing, to see are are, are these games working? Are these narratives working for you? Do you like these products and services that we're creating? They love that instantaneous feedback and you can poll people and you can get surveys, but there's something about being with people that's really exciting. You know, with this year being digital, we wanted to find a way to create some of that excitement and continuity. And we knew that it's more difficult if you've seen late night talk shows and the like without audiences, makes it much harder. And we developed a program that would create a 360 experience, starting with having hosts for the first time to create continuity over four days. We had a lot of programming around the show itself and around the showcases. And so before and after every presentation, you'd see uh, three hosts. Uh, talking about it, or one host with a panel of four is almost like a mini sports center environment around the next event that's going to occur, and then instantaneous reaction about what did you see, what did you love about this presentation or that presentation. Um, we had some news whips where you go around and say my favorite Nintendo moment, my favorite Xbox moment, and we were able to really create I think a sense of that excitement uh, for the for the um, audience. And we really kept people in tune through all of that. And the other thing that made digital so different is that it was sequential and not simultaneous. So every presentation got a spotlight. You know, the indie developers, for example, were able to get a nice showcase. Uh, One of the things I loved was watching a conversation about uh, game development in Southeast Asia. And um, one person I think from India was interviewing someone from the Philippines and talking about her game on cooking. I think it was called Cookbook. Uh, And they got into a discussion, not only about games, but about what it means to be from that region creating games and what that means about inspiring that next generation of game makers. So you get that nuance that is hard uh, when you're in uh, the frenzy of an E3 Live. So we were able to capitalize on some of that energy and showcase things that may not get the same attention.
2: You know what, Stan, you brought brought up so many great points. I was dying to jump in on, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But uh, first of all, congratulations on an amazing show. I want to say that up front because I watched, I was engaged, I was as excited. And this, this seems strange to say this about a digital show versus, like you say, the extravaganza of a live show. But I was as engaged with this E3 as I have been with any before. And something that comes to mind is, and I always try and look at the glass half full. In terms of my outlook on life in general. And for every negative, there's always something positive that comes out of it. And you to look at E3, I've always felt lucky like, oh, I'm part of an exclusive club. I get to go to E3, I'm part of the press. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Gamers are everywhere. And I, as I'm at that show, I'm like, man, I wish everyone could see this. And now, with a digital show, not only do you have an, a world audience that can participate, but as you said, you know, before, if it was an in-person show, a lot of smaller publishers don't have the finances, the logistics to physically make it to a show like this. But now, we're embracing. It's more of an inclusive show for everyone. And I think that was something that was really special and gave gamers and, and everyone around the world a peek at people, at games, at, at concepts they would never have seen before had it not been. So I'm looking at it as, wow, this was digital, not, ah, oh, this was digital. I think there were so many pluses, they definitely outweighed all the minuses, or some of the minuses.
0: Yeah, and, and we, we tried lots of different kinds of programming. And, and frankly, some of the, the participants brought different ideas. You know, Gearbox, for example, highlighting uh, the making of a movie based on video game characters and themes. Um, and so you had actors and directors, and then you had Kevin Hart uh, talking about his passion for this part and not being familiar with the properties, but now learning about them. And I'm sorry, is he Attic- playing
2: Claptrap in the movie? Is Kevin Hart Claptrap in the movie? Yeah, or who is- yeah. And I,
0: yeah. I think this character, and, and, and what that does is now it's gonna expose these themes to a broader audience, because if you have someone like the world famous Kevin Hart like playing a role that's a video game theme, it's it's just huge. The other thing we did intentionally was one, when, whenever we could, we tried to present the broad community that is the game industry. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community, um, other marginalized groups, we wanted to make sure that was showcased, both in terms of visually what you saw, but also in terms of some of the conversations that we're all having in this year of not only a pandemic, but a reckoning of mass proportion, whether it's racial equity or, or inclusion in a broad sense, Um, One of my favorite panels was of women who do a lot of the voice acting for characters and just talking about the change that they've seen over decades of playing these roles. Some were game fans and some were actors who really weren't into games, but what they brought in terms of empathy and life to these characters. And so being able to showcase that in one setting, I think sends a message about who we are as an industry.
2: I'm just going to jump in here because as a film and TV actor for the last 30 years in Hollywood and voicing a lot of the characters in these games, I can tell you the perception over the years, especially among actors who typically like, oh, I want a role where I can really, the perception of gaming and gaming, and this is another big picture thing we can talk about, uh, taking the place or, or supplanting things like cinema, especially in times like this where the movie industry was down, the gaming industry was so up, games have taken such a space in our culture that it's no longer looked down upon in the acting community as, oh, I just voice for this game. Again, it's, I did a voice for this game and it was fantastic. So I think the gaming culture in general and how it's perceived, not just from the inside, but from the outside, is totally different. It's something that brings people together. It's something like you said at the beginning, was there for us during a very tough time, continues to be there for us. And I think it's really changed a worldview on the importance of gaming in our culture, not just as a recreation, but really as a way of connecting. And that was something pretty special.
0: You know, it's interesting, 10 years ago this month, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, issued its decision in a case called Brown versus EMA, which uh, struck down efforts to regulate speech in games. And and I think between then and now, we've seen this normalization of people seeing games as the art form that it is, as something that adds to the culture, as something that's creating opportunities in STEM and STEAM. And in fact, girls who play video games are three times as likely to get a degree in STEM or STEAM than girls who didn't. And so it's creating excitement about what's going on behind the screen. I wanna learn how to code. And I think this is one of the things that we came into the pandemic with that has now really exploded because as people sat down and played with their kids or learned games for the first time or got reintroduced to it and saw the visuals, like if you see Red Dead Redemption or a Madden game or this past week, if you saw the fourth highlights with the lights beaming and the, the, the just Acuity of the cars. Um, people have a newfound respect for games, and I think this e three really showcased it. So how do you
1: take that momentum and you know look ahead to next year, and I know you're already looking ahead to next year. I don't have to just, you know, give you that shocker there. Um, uh, when you know hopefully we are in person, how do you take that momentum and you drive it there? do you do you look at next year and say we need to keep a little element of this digital footprint that we had so that we can access that broader audience?
0: I think that more and more industries realize the importance of reaching fans, reaching that consumer base. E3 started off as an opportunity for industry to meet with retailers to figure out how many games to ship for the end of the year cycle. <laughs> now what you're seeing is with digital downloads and streaming with you know all the work that Microsoft's doing with its Game Pass, uh, games can be you know, introduced at any time of the year. And so having more access to direct consumers is pretty critical. So I think whether it's E3 or any other industry looking at how they do a physical show, reaching that audience is gonna be critical. We're gonna be looking at lessons learned to see what is it that happened this year that worked, what resonated and what can we roll into future years. I think one of the things is having an always on presence was meaningful and we tried different programming and you you saw that there wasn't a huge drop in viewership over time. People kind of kept it on like they would keep on ESPN or some other channel throughout the day and plug in when they wanted to. The other thing is what we saw was people loved games and game footage. You know, Nintendo came out, did about 40, 45 minutes of Nintendo Direct and announced what it was going to be doing and then spent over three hours showing gameplay footage. And people wanted to see how the games worked and what the characters did and hear from the developers uh what are some of the nooks and crannies and so people geeked out on that as much as they did on some of the other conversations so it's exciting to see that games have this resonance and that people who really weren't into gaming particularly before the pandemic are seeing how much it resonates and want to know more, and we feel the difference as an association.
1: You know, talk about the gameplay footage, and I think that almost replaces that hands-on experience that people would have had if they were physically there, right? But you know, it, it doesn't replace that instant feedback that we talked about earlier on, which is what you can't really get, and that's why you need to get stuff into people's hands. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question about game streaming because this seems to be where we're going. This is there's no doubt the technology is getting incredible. You look at that work that Microsoft is doing, and I noticed that we all talk about Microsoft, we kind of forget about the other ones that are out there. But Microsoft really is pushing pushing forward. And I have had hands on time. Mitchell has had hands on time, I'm sure you have too, and it's been absolutely amazing. Is do you think we're gonna get to that point where we're 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 done with physical games, or are we still gonna have those in our in our shelves? Mitchell wants one. He wants the collector's item, right?
2: No, I like having though <laughs> I'm interested in what Stan has to say on this because I'm kind of old school. I like the tactile feel, but I love the ac- the accessibility of yeah. digital. But I hope I hope physical consoles never go away in, in all forms, you know?
0: I think that people enjoy having that physical, and I think there is still quite a market for physical. I think digital downloads certainly have changed the game in terms of how distribution works and how you can get stuff to people. Um, I think the difference between that and streaming though is mobility of being able to access the work anytime, anywhere. And it's interesting, uh, you know, Xbox has been thinking about, well, does that cannibalize your other sales by having it streamed, and they're finding that it actually opens more people up to trying more games and want to acquire them. Um, and I think the other services will probably start seeing that there is a huge technology leap we need to take in terms of broad brand expansion, because being able to play those games throughout every corner of the United States, let alone Canada and the world, is going to take some time. And so I think. We have to be realistic about what the pace is going to be and so almost what's happening now is the ability of enough people to adopt it so that the feedback loop makes it a better experience so that by the time everyone can join in um it's it's quite a, a luxurious experience but i i think it's certainly one of the waves of the future um i hate to make those kinds of predictions too much because you know uh we won't hold you, you know, to it it's all right you know you've got vr and ar and you've got all these different technologies related to games and some have been adapted uh, pretty well, and some are still developing. What's clear is that the video game industry leads the development for so many of these technologies because we are a very digital um, community, and so that's why you see advances in technology in this space because the demands of the fans, you know, require better graphic cards and um, faster speeds, less lag. You know, so I have a fourteen-year-old, and we currently have a. 30 foot ethernet cord, blue tapes to the ground from the <laughs> office to his bedroom, because you can't play in a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tournament without, you know, being plugged in, dad. And so-
2: <laughs> Lag kills.
0: Yeah. lag, <laughs> And no Bluetooth, you know, uh, uh, controllers, it's all plugged in. So, you know, you're seeing that the experience uh, is real for folks and, and I get to live it, which is a lot of fun, but I think, That growth in technology is great, but we're also seeing that, you know, PC games are still popular. Mobile is a very, very big market um, for people all over the world, and there are certain countries where mobile outpaces uh, broadband technology. And so you've got to have different iterations of games for people all over the world, yet they can still connect and play together, which is exciting.
2: No, you're absolutely right. I, I, Stan, I just want to go back for one second. I know you can't talk about what is going to be because obviously it's a fluid situation and you shouldn't obviously commit to anything because you don't know what, what, what form E3 will take in the future. But what we've seen, I can speak about, and I think we can all speak about what we've seen in the rest of the world, the rest of the other industries in the world, where we've seen a hybridization model take place, where we've seen a lot of positive changes that could stick and probably will stick moving forward for a lot of businesses, where people don't necessarily have to be in an office place to be productive, which can save money on rent, which can save money and put that back toward your employees and your infrastructure. So there have been some positive changes. I Now, here, here I am, you know, prophesizing about E3. But I, I think because, like you said, streaming has become so popular... Uh, I could see almost a hybridization of moving forward of E3 and being a combination of the in-person with the stream feeding people from remote locations feeding their gameplay participating where they couldn't physically be there in person I think models like that are wonderful completely accessible and completely doable where it is possible to kind of have the best of both worlds you have the tactile feel the in-person for, for those who can't physically be there they have that streaming option where and now we're going to do a digital piece for half an hour go back to live do digital so I think a hybrid model like that totally works and i'm not going to take any credit for it when it happens
0: yes you will you should take full credit i think you just created a model <laughs> yeah, at just least. Created it. You should moving <laughs> forward.
2: no i think that you created because it's kind of brilliant i think you know this worked so well what you guys did worked so well and felt so organic i think mixing in the live with it it just it's just sort of a natural pairing i think it would work wonderfully
0: i think there's a real opportunity there and it obviously takes a lot of planning and balance oh yeah um, but I was so proud of what our team was able to develop for this first all digital experience. And, you know, you plan it. And one of the things when you're involved in it, you, you know, and I have a background, um, on the legal side, but, uh, you know, with television and film companies. And so I've seen the grids of what it looks like for a show. And we had, I mean, this was a television production essentially, but made for a live stream because it was always on from the moment we started to the moment we said, yeah. good night with you tomorrow. And you've got to have backup plans and what if this goes long or what if something doesn't happen? And, um, but, it, it, you know, it really takes a lot of planning and execution. I think we, we understand the physical show and I feel like we had a really strong go of it with our first all digital. Combining those would be, uh, like you said before, Herculean, but certainly worth the effort. Stan, I want to thank you for taking the time to
1: join us. I know it's been an exhausting week. Um, Mitchell and I will talk about the announcements, um, uh, of course, during the show. But we really wanted to get that feel from you about the experience this year. And it's so nice to have you on next year. We're going to talk a little bit earlier so we can get that tease as to what's coming up for that return to hopefully in person E3. Okay.
0: well, thank you for this ability to showcase what we did and for your support of of this industry. The more you guys are talking about it, the more people will realize uh, what they should be knowing, what gamers have known. There's a community on the other side of the yeah. screen when you're playing, and that person may be next door or around the world, but they're all part of the same community.
1: We are we are happy to showcase it. We do it each and every single year. Normally Mitchell is there, but obviously for reasons uh, this year he was not. Uh, Stan Pierre-Louis, President and CEO of the uh, Entertainment Software Association, thank you so much for being with us. We'll take a quick break and come back with that exclusive news from Super 73. Stick around.
2: There's more Your Tech Report after this. The latest news, the newest products, the biggest names.
0: Welcome to Your
2: Tech Report. Online at yourtechreport.com. Join Mitchell Whitfield and Marco Flalo for the next hour of Your Tech Report.
1: Welcome to it. Thank you so much for being here. I am Marco Flalo in Montreal, as always, joined by Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. We've got an amazing show lined up for you guys this week. We are going to be speaking with Stanley Pierre-Louis, the president and CEO of the Entertainment Software Association. As you know, E3 wrapping up this past week, all digital edition, plus Mitchell, an exciting announcement from Super 73. Spoiler alert, if you have been following us on social media, you know the announcement, but we're going to we're going to save the big reveal. Head on over to YouTube channel. You can check it out, but also stick around because Michael Canavo from Super 73 is going to be joining us to unveil the next big innovation from Super 73. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, talk a little bit about E3 as we set the stage for our guests and this week's show. Stick around. There's
2: more Your Tech Report after this.
1: Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. He is Mitchell Whitfield in Los Angeles. Mark Aflalo in Montreal, thank you guys so much for being along for the ride. If you want to follow along... This is a great episode for you to check out our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash your tech report. Of course, on all our social media, it's at your tech report. And our email address, Mitchell, is contact at your So .com. as I mentioned yeah. before we took a break, an exciting mm-hmm. show. We've got a really cool announcement from Super73 Michael Canava, who was on a couple weeks ago, is coming back. We're not going to keep him too long this time. But he's going <laughs> to tell us all about the brand new Super 73 electric motorbike. That's what you call the electric I'm motorbike, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's not um, a bicycle, it's not an e-bike, it's an electric motorbike. That's and appropriate. Given the fact that E3 was going on this past week, we're going to yes. talk, talk to the uh, president and CEO of the uh, Entertainment Software Association, or the Electronic, Ye- yes Entertainment Software Association. Electronic uh, Software Association, yeah. uh, he's going to be coming up after, after we talk a little bit about some of the things that happened at this year's E3, the biggest thing for me was the lack of something, and that was the lack of any hardware, but it makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does make sense, and yeah, that's funny. You, you <laughs> I, I like to be positive, and we, we are, we are positive as well. But uh, um, I, I wanted to talk about what wasn't there. First, I wanted to get that out of the way. Absolutely, Mark, you nailed it. No new consoles, and I think that wasn't a huge surprise, except for the fact that many people were expecting Nintendo, Nintendo yeah. to announce their what we think will be called the Switch Pro or some variant of that name. Uh, it's been a while, you know. They've updated the Switch with a newer version uh, that has slightly better batteries, slightly better this and that, but really, uh, pretty much the same in terms of its overall build and performance. But we are expecting, we were told that a Switch Pro was going to be around for holiday this year. Now, that still could happen. And as we've seen and as we're going to talk about, not every company uses E3 as their launching point for news and sharing of information. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, you know, they have their own events for that. And with their. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, historically, especially in recent years. Nintendo is actually the one that used to stray from those announcements. They're the Correct. ones that traditionally would have their own event, kind of separate, sometimes around E3 time, but not part of the official E3 you know conference that was going on. They used to have their own thing that was going on. And then other right. companies kind of followed suit. Like Sony did it one year, and it was kind of on again, off again. But here's the interesting thing is that it's it's funny how things kind of work out because... You know, Microsoft had just unveiled and people are still hammering to get on their new consoles. Um, so it's 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 amazing how things just kind of timing kind of worked out where no one really had anything anyway to talk about hardware-wise. So it made sense to focus on the games.
2: And really, when you think about it, I mean, you know, this was another COVID year. We had this year and last year being COVID years. And when you look at overall production, and we'll continue to talk about this. We've talked about it before. I'll continue to talk about this so our listeners know the covid will has affected and will affect many aspects of our lives for many years to come. Yes, we, we know about production, how production, number one, getting stuff shipped from overseas, from China or products made in Asia has been very difficult. Freight shipping is near impossible to procure right now. That's number one. Number two, there's an overall chip shortage. Companies like Taiwan Semiconductor and Foxconn, they're they're trying to get all these chips out to service all the new products that will be announced by Apple that, you know, have yet to be announced by companies like Nintendo, but it's hard to announce a new console and a new console release date when you don't have the supply chain to create those new consoles. Yeah, yeah. And really when you think about it, Mark, that's what it comes down to. Even if they wanted to announce the switch pro, which I'm sure is at the, its point in development where it could be announced if they wanted to, but why would they announce something? They don't have the physical capability to produce in any, you know, in any great quantity right now and disappoint more gamers. Because right now people, I mean, think about it. We were almost, you know, a year, not a year. I mean, a few months away from being a year since the next gen consoles were announced from Sony and Microsoft yeah. and you still cannot get your hands on one you're paying double or triple online just to get your hands on one no Let one thought this video was going to happen
1: for the PC gamer side exactly. like these great Nvidia cards that are the just insane AMD I mean it's just yeah. It's just a little it's bit a joke. nuts. It's a little yeah, bit Yeah, so you nuts. have
2: bots buying up what little product there is out there. They're, they're struggling to perform. So, so let's go back. So we didn't have a new console, but we understand why. No one's begrudging them for, for why they didn't do that. We also didn't have Sony. I don't know if you noticed, Mark, there was really yeah, no was Sony nothing. at this year's show. We had Microsoft, who was front and center with a lot of announcements, and then Sony with their Nintendo Direct that, you know, there were some cool announcements, by the way, by Nintendo. I don't want to gloss that over. Of course, uh, you know, the Breath of the Wild sequel oh will come out sometime in, 20, sometime in 2022. It's going to be amazing. This is, uh, one also, of those, this is one of those I years, am.
1: Mitchell, that I, I found myself just... Staring and zoning out at gameplay trailers. Yeah, and I never do that because I always kind of say oh This is not what it's gonna look like but now these days I mean this is what it's gonna look like and just watching people play especially Breath of the Wild 2. Oh my god Gorgeous, and oh, in, it's insane. one of those
2: games. And by the way, it, you're, you're seeing it on current-gen software. Yes. So it's amazing how Nintendo, they don't need necessarily to go 4K over-the-top graphics because they design purposefully for their machines to make them look beautiful. Also, we saw people been wanting a new Metroid game. They got a new Metroid game, except I don't think they expect it. It's not a first-person. It's a side-scrolling, going back to old-school Metroid, which I think is amazing. Again, I watched the gameplay. It looked absolutely beautiful. It combined the best of its side scrolls rolling game with modern sort of smoothness and engine so it just looked incredible so if you've been you know hankering yeah. for a little bit of Metroid on your switch that will be coming as well um, I'm trying to think what else I mean Microsoft had a ton we finally got you know their biggest announcement everyone was wondering if Starfield uh, from Bethesda which is now part of course of the Microsoft family and actually a Microsoft company if that was going to be number one going to be a title that was coming out this year it's their first new RPG intellectual property of the last twenty. 25 years something that wasn't named elder scrolls or wasn't named fallout a whole new ip well the bad news is it is uh coming out in 2022 i think holiday time more bad news if you unless you're a pc and, and xbox gamer it will be exclusive to the xbox and pc and folks this is why microsoft bought the company so that they could have viable solutions when people are looking for a reason to buy a, an xbox over a playstation playstation 5 This is the kind of decision, decision, you know, that goes into this. They actually have exclusives now. Starfield will be on Xbox and PC only. And Mark, that is absolutely huge news.
1: Ubisoft announced um, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. um Looks insane, looks absolutely insane. Um, the other one that really kinda blew my mind and because I'm into the driving games was definitely the new Forza Horizon five. Yes in like,
2: Mexico looks absolutely <laughs> stunning.
1: It, it looked it looked gorgeous and talk about taking advantage of the new generation consoles and the ray tracing and all the effects, like putting it in Mexico like that is just an absolute, an absolute thrill. And I cannot wait to get my hands on that. I kinda miss my, my steering wheel and my game seat. I might have to get that back. That kinda, I know. kinda perished in my flood in my house earlier this year. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way mark
2: we can't for, we can't forget some sort of the big news of course uh Microsoft's uh, Halo infinite Xbox Halo That's infinite where I was going. is coming is coming was it November of this year uh yes it is you're I believe right. and by the way as was rumored Halo multiplayer Halo infinite multiplayer will be free regardless of whether you have game pass because if you have game pass the whole game is going to be free day one anyway but even if you're not a game pass subscriber Halo infinite will be the multiplayer will be free to play
1: flight simulator coming yes, to the console in July. in July, July 27th. That one really I'm excites so me excited. because I got a PC, I got a gaming PC just to play Flight Simulator. I've been playing it in, in stunning VR and it's been absolutely beautiful, which is uh, which is really cool. Uh, Mitchell, again, yes. an awesome show lined up for you guys. You got an exclusive announcement, exclusive reveal from Super 73. Michael Canavos coming on. But before we get to Michael, we're saving yes. the best for last. But you know what? Uh, that's not true because our next guest. No, it's not
2: true. <laughs> we're still talking
1: all about E3, but we're going to talk about the fact that E3 was all virtual. What does that mean? What is it going to look like in a couple of years from now? Is it going to change the way that we're used to this event? Are we going to still be going to it in person or are we going to go into it live? So we're going to talk to the president and CEO of the Entertainment Software Association. His name is Stan Pierre-Louis, and he's joining us next here in Your Tech Report. Again, follow us online. It is at Your Tech Report on all our social media and email contact at yourtechreport.com. Back in a moment.
2: There's more Your Tech Report after this.
1: I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.
2: The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.